Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett coming to you from Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. So glad you're joining us today for the Tuesday broadcast. We have been walking through the book of Jonah. I love the book of Jonah. As a matter of fact, this is the fifth message on the book of Jonah, and I kind of want to bring you up to speed just in case you're kind of new to the broadcast and catch up to where we've been going in the book of Jonah. And in Jonah chapter number one, we see that Jonah is given a message from the Lord. We discover that God is gracious to us, and God gives us opportunities oftentimes that we never even imagined. Here we see that Jonah is given the opportunity to proclaim a message of grace. Jonah runs from that message, and if you're familiar with the book of Jonah, you know that he runs in the opposite direction. But I want you to know something about God and His grace. God is so gracious, He allows the sun and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. We discover that although Jonah was running from God, he was not running from God's grace. He was running in God's grace. I mean, God had given him the ability to run. Now, you got to be filled with something to be able to run. He was filled with God's grace. God gave Jonah the aptitude to figure out that he had to go in a wrong direction. God gave Jonah the resources to pay for that ship ride to Tarshish. You see, God is gracious. Even when we're running from him, he is gracious. Then we learned in chapter number two that God began to work miraculously in the life of Jonah. A great storm comes along. That storm scared those sailors. Those sailors tried to do everything they could to lighten up the ship. They were throwing things overboard. No matter what they did, that storm was raging on. They were fearful that they were going to die and be smashed to pieces. Jonah, in the middle of that whole ordeal, is down on the bottom of that ship, and he's fast asleep. God is graciously allowing him to sleep in the middle of the storm. And the captain goes down and says, now, Jonah, you need to wake up. You need to cry out to your God. We're over here praying and rowing as fast as we can and as hard as we can. Why don't you join us in praying that maybe your God can deliver us? Well, Jonah never prayed. But Jonah did experience God's grace. Jonah told the sailors and that captain on that ship that if they would just throw him overboard, they would see the storm cease. Now, Jonah was one of these guys that they hated to do that to him, but they hated to be in the middle of that storm. So with great reluctance, they tossed him overboard, and lo and behold, that storm stopped. We discovered that a great fish came along and swallowed up Jonah. In the belly of that fish, Jonah cried unto the Lord, and God heard his prayers. And we discovered that God allowed him a second chance to go to the Ninevites. As that great fish spits him up on the shore, Jonah runs like he's never run before. And he runs and he delivers an eight-word sermon. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. We discovered in the broadcast yesterday that God gives grace to those who are returning to him. And in chapter number three, we see that the word of God spoke to Jonah a second time. Although Jonah was reluctant, he saw God's grace. He saw that God had given him a second chance. He also learned that God had also given him this opportunity to do something that he never probably dreamed that he could do, and that was he was going to see people respond to that simple challenge of the gospel. Now, this is amazing when you think about it. From what the Bible says, with 120,000 people living in Nineveh, it appears that everyone in Nineveh repented. That is unbelievable. That is probably the biggest revival or the biggest spiritual awakening that has ever taken place. Within 40 days, over 100,000 people come to a saving knowledge of Christ, responding to a very simple message. 
We also learned in our broadcast yesterday that God gives grace for us to live so that we can be sincerely changed. The Ninevites believed God, and as a result of that, their lives were radically changed. You know, the three simple prayers that will change your life. And if you will pray this three-step prayer, you'll see God change your life. Here's the first step. You pray, Lord, I put my trust in you. I put my trust in you. I just give my life over to you. I lift up my soul to you. Oh, God, I trust in you. David prayed that kind of prayer in Psalm 25. He says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, O my God, in you I trust. He has no unwavering trust. He says, in you I rely on your steadfast love. He says, do not let me be ashamed of your hope. Let me not be disappointed with you. He says, do not let my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who turn away from what is right and deal treacherously without a cause will be ashamed. I want you to know that if you put your faith and trust in Christ, you'll discover that he will begin to change your life. And here's the second step in that prayer. Make me and lead me, Lord. You've given me that ability to trust you. Now I'm asking that you make me and that you lead me. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in the truth and teach me your ways. You are the God of my salvation, for I will wait on you all the day long. David continues in Psalm 25. And then lastly, number three, pray, Lord, would you forgive me? You know, 1 John 1.9 is a verse that we often quote. 1 John 1.9 says, if... We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, did you know that that was written not to unbelievers? That was written to believers. That's right. God wants us to constantly ask for forgiveness of our sins because we constantly fall into sin. David put it this way in Psalm 25. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and your love, for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth from my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you, Lord, are good. You're good and upright. That's who you are, Lord. Therefore, you instruct sinners in their ways. You guide the humble in what is right, and you teach them your way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. You know, Jonah learned that he had to trust the sovereign character of God. Verse number 10 of Jonah chapter 3 says, when God saw that they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. Some translation says that God changed his mind. He decided not to bring destruction on them. When I think about the sovereignty of God, I think about his character. I think about the fact that we, as followers of Christ, understand the power of God, understand that he rules, he reigns. Our theme verse this year as a church is Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, and it says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness, no to worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, holy lives. Now, if we look at the book of Jonah, 
It'd be great if the book of Jonah stopped and ended at chapter number three, but there's a chapter number four. And we discover in chapter number four that Jonah is angry at God. Jonah is angry at what is happening. You know, Americans are very angry. Our country has erupted into the worst civil unrest that we've experienced in decades. Our nation is fighting the coronavirus, and we're fighting violence, and we're fighting all kinds of issues in our society today. We're living, in effect, in a big anger incubator. One psychology professor of UC Irvine said that we are a country that is now dealing with three disasters superimposed one on top of the other, the pandemic, the economic fallout, and the civil unrest. He says certainly one of the ways of responding and a common way of responding is anger. You know, surveys over the last few years have suggested that anger has arisen in our country, and it's been on the rise for many years. A Gallup poll conducted in 2018, for example, concluded that American stress and worry and anger has intensified to an all-time high. We discover that nearly 80% of people who are driving have expressed significant anger. According to a new study by AAA, they've discovered that nearly 80% of United States drivers have expressed significant anger, aggression, or road rage behind the wheel at least once in the past year. The most alarming findings suggest that approximately 8 million United States drivers engage in an extreme example of road rage, including purposefully ramming other vehicles or getting out of the car to confront another driver. Many drivers reported engaging in the following types of road rage. 51% says that they were purposely tailgating another vehicle. 47% said they were yelling at another driver. 45% said they were honking to show annoyance or anger. 33% said they were involved in making angry gestures. 24% said they're trying to block another vehicle from changing lanes. One of the study's researchers concluded... Inconsiderate driving, bad traffic, and the daily stresses of life can transform minor frustrations into dangerous road rage. Far too many drivers are losing themselves in the heat of the moment and lashing out in ways that could turn deadly. You know, we're told in Colossians chapter 3, verse number 8, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Well, I want to read to you how Jonah wrongly responded to his anger. And if we run out of time on today's broadcast, we'll finish it up on Wednesday. But here's what it says in Jonah chapter number four. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. What seemed very wrong to Jonah was the repentance of the Ninevites and God not bringing wrath and destruction upon them. It seemed very wrong to him, and he became very angry. So he prayed to the Lord. Isn't that what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? Now, here's a prayer that I don't recommend that Jonah prayed, but he's going to go ahead and pray it anyway, right? He says, this is what I said, Lord. I didn't want to leave my home. I was trying to forestall this by fleeing to Tarshish. He says, I know that you are a gracious God. You're a compassionate God. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, just go ahead and take my life away for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord appeared and replied and says, Is it right for you to be angry? 
So I'm going to ask you that question a couple times today through the broadcast. Is it right for you to be angry? You know, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you say to your brother, Raka, I wish you were dead, if you become angry at your brother without a cause, it's not righteous anger. You see, Jonah had gone out and he sat down at a place east of the city where he made himself a shelter. He sat in the shade and he waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow. So we're going to see in this next couple of verses that little phrase, God provided. God provided a leafy plant. God made it grow over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plants. But at dawn the next day, God provided something else. God provided a worm, which chewed that plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, he said. It'd be much better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, here it is the second time, is it right for you to be angry about the plants? Look what Jonah says. He says, well, yes, it is. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend to it, you didn't make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for that great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? So here's the question. Is it right to be angry when God forgives? Here's some things that I think we must remember about grace. Here's the first point. Grace is not based upon human fairness. One of the first lessons I hope that you would teach your children is that life is not fair. And it doesn't matter if you're rich or whether you're poor. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter about your culture. It doesn't matter about your history. It doesn't matter how much education you have. Life is not fair. In Luke chapter 15, we discover that grace is not fair as well. You see, you will never get over anger if you're waiting for life to become fair. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives the story of the prodigal son, a story that I know you're very familiar with. As the prodigal son comes home, the father decides to throw a party and The older brother becomes very angry and refuses to go in. So his father goes out and he pleads with him. We discover here that the older son was angry because the prodigal son had received forgiveness. You know, we think about resentment. That's what was filling the heart of Jonah. That was what was in the heart of the older brother. You see, resentment is when you let your hurt become hate. Resentment is when you allow what is eating you to eat you up. Resentment is when you poke, stoke, feed, and fan the fire, stirring the flames and reliving that pain. Resentment is the deliberate decision to nurse an offense until it becomes a black, furry, growling grudge. You see, grace is not based upon human fairness. Grace is based upon God's love. Here's the second thing we learned about grace. Grace is not based upon human logic. We learned in Matthew chapter 20 a very interesting story that Jesus gives. And he gives this story and he lays out the line that sometimes God in his grace doesn't work on human logic. Sometimes he does things that seem quite counter to our human logic. In Matthew chapter 20, we see that the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers in his vineyard. 
It was early, about six o'clock in the morning. He saw there were some people that needed a job. And he says, I tell you what, I will pay you a Daenerys if you come and work for me for the day. He went back out at nine o'clock in the morning. And lo and behold, there were still many people out there who were looking for work. And at nine o'clock in the morning, he said to them, listen, if you come and you work today for me, I will give you a day's wage. I'll give you a Daenerys. He went back out about noon that same day and found others who were still looking for some work. And he said, I tell you what, if you will work for me today, I'll pay you a day's wage. I'll pay you a Daenerys for working for me today. He went out at three o'clock that afternoon and still others were looking for work. And he says, I'll tell you what, I will hire you. Come work with me and I'll pay you a Daenerys. At five o'clock, he went out one final time and Sure enough, there were still people looking for work. And he says, I tell you what, you come and you work for me and I'll pay you a day's wage. Well, at six o'clock, it was time to get paid. You know, those who started at six o'clock in the morning and those who worked throughout the heat of the day, they thought for sure they would get more money than those who began work later in the day. But they discovered that everyone got the same amount of pay. As we think about this, this is what salvation kind of is. You know, many people are going to get saved at the very last hour. They're going to get saved and they're going to go to heaven by the skin of their teeth. Don't resent that. Thank God that they're able to get into heaven. If you have been serving God for a long time, you have many more years of blessings, many more years of God's grace that has been flowing through you. You see, God doesn't always work on the level of logic. God works on a different level. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, there's a third thing that we learn about grace. We see that grace is not based upon human logic. Grace is not based on what is fair, but grace is not also, it's also not based upon human feelings. In Psalm 86, 5, it says, you, Lord, are forgiving and you are good. You're abounding in love to all who call to you. You know, feelings aren't everything. Ecstasy is no guarantee of orthodoxy or that Christian fruit will result. You know, we think about God's grace. It is not based on human feelings. It is beyond feelings. You know, feelings that are coming into your life are up and down. Feeling better has become, in many cases, more important to us than finding God. Grace is a gift that is based completely upon the love of God. Jonah didn't feel like Nineveh deserved God's grace. And humanly speaking, none of us deserve God's grace. You know, I'm so glad that God doesn't love us only when he feels like loving us. His love for us is unconditional. Well, there's something else that I noticed about grace in this last chapter of Jonah, and I discovered that grace is not based on human restitution. Or maybe Jonah would have felt better about the Ninevites if they had really done something to show that they would deserve God's forgiveness. But you see, restitution and grace are two different things. Grace is a gift that's given to us. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. Restitution takes place after we are recipients of God's grace. Now, I know this seems kind of counter to us, especially as we read the Old Testament and portions of the New Testament. In Exodus chapter 21, verses 24 and 25, for example, it says, eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, a stripe for a stripe. You see, Jonah didn't believe the Ninevites should be forgiven and experience God's grace so freely. They should somehow make restitution for all they did wrong. 
And then he said, we can talk about grace. You know, it's impossible to pay the price for our sin. Impossible. You know, grace may lead to restitution, but grace is not contingent on it. When you think about Nineveh, Nineveh had a a big city, and the capital was Assyria. And as we look at the future of the Ninevites, although they repented in the book of Jonah, if we were to read a follow-up story on the book of Jonah, chapter uh, book number two, we could call it, uh, the book of Nahum, talks about what happened to the nation, what happened to the Ninevites. You see, Nahum predicted that God would completely destroy that city in Nahum chapter 1. In Nahum chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, it says, The Lord is good. He's a refuge in our times of trouble. He cares for those who trust him, but with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. And then when you come down to verse number 14, it says, The Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. You see, during the prophet Jonah's day, Nineveh was spared by God's compassion in response to their repentance. This happened in 760 B.C. Nineveh, in spite of its great power, still fell several years later. The city fell just as Nahum had prophesied that it would. And as you think about that, you know that this is true because none of us have a descendant of the city of Nineveh. That city had been hidden. As a matter of fact, Nineveh was so completely destroyed that it wasn't until the 1800s that archaeologists could find and and excavate a portion of that ancient city. Nineveh has indeed been hidden as Noah, as Nahum rather, predicted it long ago. So the question that he asked and the question that is asked by our Lord twice is, is it right to be angry when God gives or God takes? I want to remind you that all provision is a gift of grace from God. All gifts come from him. Every good and every perfect gift comes from the Father above. I also want you to know that all life is a gift of grace from God. You see, grace is always centered around God saving people. It was Max Lucado who said, grace is the voice that calls us to change. And grace is also that force that gives us the power to pull those changes off. I want you to know that grace can change you like you never thought you could be changed. We have been saved by God's grace. We are kept by God's grace. Without God's grace, we have nothing. It is God's grace that hath breathed into us the very breath of life. It is God's grace that gives us a second chance to be like Christ. Without grace, we cannot be saved. You see, God gives us grace to live the Christian life. God gives us grace to live in this present age. Titus chapter 2 says that it's the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people and teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Well, today as you listen to the broadcast, maybe you're having a hard time. Maybe you need some victory in your life. I want to let you know about a ministry that we have at Hickory Ridge Community Church that will help you to be a full recipient of God's grace. It's called Celebrate Recovery. 
Uh, this is a ministry that is not just for the members of Hickory Ridge Community Church. This is offered to everybody within our community. If there's something that you're having a hard time getting past, maybe you are filled with resentment. Maybe you are filled with this pain in your life and you can't get past it. I've discovered something about people who battle all kinds of hurts and habits and addictions. Hurts and habits and addictions are in our lives because we are trying to anesthetize some kind of a pain that we're feeling. I want you to know God can give you the grace to get past that. And sometimes he uses people to help you to get past that pain. I hope that you join us Sunday night for Celebrate Recovery at 6 o'clock. We gather for a general assembly in the sanctuary of our church. We spend some time together in prayer. We spend some time having either a testimony or having a lesson. And it is a powerful way to work steps so that you can become all that God wants you to be. It won't cost you a thing to come and be part of Celebrate Recovery. We will make sure that you are well received. We'll have an opportunity to meet some of our leaders. I hope you join us this Sunday night at 6 o'clock as we have Celebrate Recovery every Sunday night at 6 o'clock. So Lord, we come before you today. We are so grateful for the grace that you have shown us. That amazing grace that has saved us and keeps us secure. I pray today as we head home and as we prepare for the evening that our hearts and our minds will be focused on you and that we will be grateful for the blessings that you have given to us. Keep us safe as we drive. Allow us not to be filled with rage, but be filled with the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We would love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.